As we begin today, watch this. Have you ever been in a hurry when God wasn't? All throughout the Bible, we see God telling people to wait. Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years for a child. Jacob waited and worked for Rachel to be his wife for seven years, and then worked for her for an additional seven more. David waited over 10 years from the time he was anointed to become king until he was actually crowned king. Noah waited 120 years from the time God told him to build the ark until the time of the flood actually occurred. So why does God make us wait on the dream he has placed inside of us? Here's the answer. What God does in us while we wait is more important than what we are waiting for. All those people in the Bible waited a long time for things that they wanted and things they dreamed about. Let's make this a little more personal. Think back when you were a child, okay? And you wanted something really, really bad. And that something consumed your thoughts and it consumed your heart and your outlook. It was always on your mind. Can anyone think of what that thing was? Anyone? A mini bike. Never got one? Give Pat a hug afterwards too, by the way, okay? Carol, what was yours? I wanted a horse. No, a horse never got one, okay? I wanted a drum set, never got one. You wanted a drum set. Who else? Anybody else? Well, I'll tell you mine. For me, I love going to the movies with my friends when I was little. And how'd you get to the movies? Well, your mother and dad would take you, right? Or else your friends' mom and dad would take you. And you could see anything at all that was appropriate for your age, Right? Wrong, at least for me. For in 1959, the first Ben-Hur movie came out. And here's a short bit from its trailer. Generation after generation of readers have been thrilled by Ben-Hur. No book save the Bible has ever been so widely read. Now, as a motion picture, Ben-Hur has inspired enthusiastic acclaim in every corner of the earth. In New York, in London, in Tokyo, and in Hollywood the most honored motion picture in Academy Award history. Yes, the spectacle, the color, the excitement, the human drama of Ben-Hur has swept the world. I'll pause it there. As you can see, this was a real blockbuster. Everybody wanted to go see it. So much so in elementary school, my third grade class actually left the school as a field trip, went to the movie theater to see this historic epic. And I was so excited until my parents refused to let me go. Even though you can see there on the screen, see it with your whole family, that wasn't enough. I wasn't allowed to go with my third grade class in elementary school. Why? It's because of this parents magazine which had this monthly feature in it about which movies were suitable for kids to see and which weren't and wouldn't you know it ben Hur didn't make the cut and so i begged them please let me let me go and see it but they wouldn't and so i even prayed about it like being able to see some of the coolest movies that all my friends were going to see and talk about but god never answered that prayer that never ever happened and so it was maybe the first time in my life that I was kind of disappointed with God and kind of disappointed in his response to my prayer. Now today, obviously we can kind of smile at that childhood moment of wanting something so really bad, having it dominate our lives at times. But some of us have really ever outgrown that. 
In fact, my friend Jamie here, who led worship this morning, he and I are consumed by stand-up paddleboard surfing. And while I've been collecting my boards and my gears over the years, poor Jamie's been working to catch up the last several months with boards, leashes, paddles, board shorts, rash guards, hats, the right kind of sunscreen. It's been pretty intense. And although we've all grown older, we haven't outgrown that desire to really, really desperately want something. And our desperately wanting something reaches way beyond just the external stuff that we can buy into having some desire that's deeply internal to us. And what we've done is we've replaced our childhood desires for a toy or going to go see a cool movie or something else with more age-appropriate desires. You have the same passion. You have that same longing that you had as a kid, but you've traded that toy or that childhood thing for something that you've deemed that's much more important in your life right now. And for many of us, that important thing we deeply desire is something we can't fix, we can't make happen, or we can't bring about by any means on our own, which is something I dare say we desperately want. None of us like to use that word desperate, however, because it makes us feel so vulnerable. None of us like to feel vulnerable, but here for us, for our families, for our friends, for our acquaintances, in fact, for everyone, we have a deeply personal desire or two or three, don't we? Perhaps it's for a job or maybe it's a more meaningful job. So your deep personal prayer is that God would guide you into good employment. Some of us, maybe your child has grown up and spiritually they've drifted away from God. So your deep personal prayer is they would come back to know God, take steps closer to him. And then there are people whose marriages and their significant relationships are in trouble. So your most deep personal prayer is to have them fixed and have the drama dissolved. Two, there are people who want physical healing for themselves, for their loved ones. Many people today are trying to kick addictions of all kinds. And then other people may be sitting in a crowd, but they feel desperately lonely. And so you see, many of us have something we desperately would love to see happen. Truthfully, it's not really coming together, though, as we would like to see it. And so let's find out if this in any way is true for you. Would you raise your hand if you have ever felt God is not acting or God is not moving on your scripted timetable? Anyone? Yeah, most of us have felt that. So let me ask, what could be your most deepest personal desire or prayer which God hasn't acted on yet? And sometimes it may even feel a little desperate. How many of us could identify that right off the top of our heads, what that thing would be? Let me say, if you can't, take note of what we're going to say this morning. Because that thing, whatever it could be, might be just around the next corner for you because none of us is immune to that kind of thing. For instance, here's my deepest, most personal, sometimes desperate desire and prayer. It's this. Oh God, please, please don't let me mess things up. Please don't let me drop the ball. Please don't let me fail. And that sits right here, right in front of me, a few inches in front of my eyes much of the time. My prayer also is, God, move that thing away from sitting right there in front of my eyes. And let me say, that prayer is answered some of the time, but certainly not all the time. And so it remains a deep, personal, sometimes desperate prayer in me 
that sometimes goes answered a whole lot more than I'd like for it to. And so for your sake and mine and the time we have, let's see what happens when Jesus gets in the vicinity of someone's desperate prayer. It may be encouraging for us or helpful in some ways for those things that are sometimes desperate desires and prayers in our life. Now this encounter is between Jesus and two sisters and an ill-fated brother. And I say ill-fated brother because he got very, very ill and he died. Name was Lazarus, sisters Mary and Martha. They're all good friends of Jesus. In fact, they send word to Jesus and, hey, your friend Lazarus, you know, he's really, really sick. He needs your healing touch. But by the time Jesus, for some reason, does a few other things and gets around to Lazarus' house, he's dead. It makes it kind of tough for Lazarus to open the door and welcome him in. But as you know, if you're familiar with the story, Lazarus doesn't remain dead. Here's a depiction of what happens from the movie entitled Son of God. Watch this. Martha, what's wrong? My brother is dead. Show me the tomb. He's been there four days. Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, even if he dies, he will still have life. Bible teaches us that Jesus is the glory of God. He is the visible expression of the invisible God. So if you've ever wondered what God is really like, just look at Jesus and what you'll do is you'll see the heart of God. Knowing that as we turn to the scripture, here's what is probably the second most surprising thing in this story from John in the New Living Translation. So although Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Surprisingly, it takes a couple of days before Jesus and his disciples find their way back to them. And so why didn't Jesus go sooner? Perhaps he could have saved Lazarus from dying. He could have saved Mary, Martha, and all their friends from grieving, but there's really no answer to that. In the end, however, we know Lazarus didn't die. He comes back to life. Death couldn't hold him. That's certainly the most surprising thing of all. But why didn't Jesus go back sooner? There's no answer to that. And for many of us, that is the most frustrating thing of all in this story. Why didn't Jesus go sooner? We see he doesn't operate on the predetermined time schedule, does he? That Mary and Martha and everybody there would have liked. And as with them, the delay seems tortuous for us as well, doesn't it? Maybe like them, you're wondering, hey, where is Jesus? What's going on? And even though we don't completely get Jesus' time schedule and how he does things, one thing you can completely get from the scripture is this. Like Mary and Martha and Lazarus, Jesus really, really, really loves you. And Jesus never, ever stops loving you. In fact, he can't because that's the substance of who he is. He is made of love. He's full of it. People in my life have sometimes said, I'm full of it, but certainly not love like Jesus. And so here's what we do sometimes. 
we confuse his failing to show up on our time schedule with his loving us. We say things like, Jesus, you know, I need you to show up to fix this thing, 3 p.m. Monday, Eastern Standard Time, but it never works like that. And when we do that, what it does is it completely disqualifies our trust in him. You see, trusting Jesus and fulfilling our time conditions, they don't occupy the same space. They don't even speak the same language. So in order to trust Jesus, you have to put your trust in his timing. And for some of us, that's kind of a deal breaker. To trust in, to walk with Jesus, I must trust in the pace of his walk, and I must know he never stops loving me along the way. If the truth be told, many of us who claim to follow Jesus, what do we do? We tend to get out ahead of him, don't we? And then we wonder, hey, where is he? And then we get mad that he's not there. But if you can embrace this first, that Jesus does demonstrate a rather unique timing in things, and you can embrace the fact that he loves you all the time, then you're ready to realize something really, really special. And that is Jesus offers a bigger life to you and to me than we typically see. Martha gets a glimpse of this next in John's 11th chapter, verses 20 through 26 in the New Living Translation. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? You see, Martha, very early on, had the courage to say what many of us would like to say to Jesus, like, hey, where are you? Why didn't you show up? If you had worked things out on my timing and my schedule, this wouldn't even have happened. And then you can't you see Jesus reaching out to Martha and, and holding her face and saying, your brother will rise again. Do you believe this, Martha? And Martha's thinking, sure he will in heaven because she thinks eternity is this future event that happens at death. And we too have our own version of this. It sounds something like this. I've given my life to Jesus, so my sins are forgiven from the past. And thus when I die, I'm going to heaven in the future. But there are times I'm living in right now which feel like I'm barely surviving like I'm in some sort of a passionless, going-through-the-motions kind of life, or rather, I'm living in a sort of hellish, why-is-this-happening-to-me kind of life. It's kind of like what you see, say, of somebody who's going to Disney World. They're riding around the monorail, around the lake, around and round and round and round, outside the park. Then you get off that, and you decide to get on the paddle wheeler and go across the lake back and forth several times outside the park. Then you get to that train station, outside the park and you go man this is great this is so cool great rides great scenery around the lake and on the lake this train station is beautiful and then you go home pretty cool sort of except you didn't get to experience the real kingdom that's there right under the opening of that train station was a new kingdom it's a kingdom of joy a kingdom of adventure it's a kingdom of fun it's a kingdom of so much more which they are not experiencing. And sometimes that's us with the kingdom of God in our lives. And God doesn't want us to be that person. 
The kingdom of God is just not the end of our lives in heaven. The kingdom of God is here, and it's right now. And Jesus doesn't want you missing out on that. He doesn't want you to miss out on that big adventure, that blessing in your life that's right before you every day. So easy to do, though, isn't it? Especially when our most personal and our deepest and even desperate times of prayers and desires, they seem to go unanswered. Do you believe this, Martha? Jesus asked her. And Jesus wants you to substitute your name in there because he's asking you the same question. That's because the kingdom is now. And it looks kind of like this. As I see it, I live both in the presence and in the power of Jesus. And this comes to us from Ephesians 3, 16 and 17 in the New Living Translation. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. I live with the glorious presence of Jesus right here within me. And I live with the glorious power of Jesus right here with me. And this is not a fairy tale. Just this past week, someone in our church shared that they had a neighbor who's been without water service in their house for six whole months, during which time they graciously have been carrying five-gallon buckets of water over to flush the person's toilet for them to wash dishes and bathe. And someone suggested, hey, maybe our helping hands funds could help pay their past due bill and have their water turned on. So I investigated it and found out the amount. Our leadership team decided if this neighbor would be able to keep up with their payments each month, we'd pay the past due bill to get the water turned back on. But to find out if that was a possibility with them, I'd have to talk to the person. And this person is kind of talkative themselves. They sometimes are hard to control in conversations. And sometimes you can't even get a word in edgewise with them. So I had this trepidation, I'll be honest with you, about making this call. Um, And I didn't know how the person would feel about me investigating their finances and how that conversation would go. And so I started thinking about making that call. I hadn't figured out how to do it yet or what to say. I did feel honestly kind of uncomfortable about it. But still, I really wanted to make that call. Here's the cool thing. Jesus is so big that he spared me the awkwardness of having to make that call. A person told me about them, happened to have that person riding with them in the car, and they happened to call me up and said, oh, that person's in the car with me. I said, cool, hand them the phone. They handed him the phone. I promptly asked him, hey, can you pay your water bill from now on if we turn it on for you? And they said they could. I said, great, hand the phone back to him. And so they did that. And bang, you know, I believe Jesus actually engineered that because he wanted that help for her to be bigger than my reluctance to call her. And he wanted to make it happen less awkwardly and less painfully for me. And that's how big the life is that Jesus wants us to live. And the big thing is, Jesus does little things like that all the time in my life. And all of them happen without anybody ever really knowing about them. And to me, those little things happening in my life that Jesus engineers is a really big thing. And that's part of the really big life he has for you and he has for me. Those things might seem really small compared to what Jesus does here in the story, but it it needs to be big in the story, doesn't it, to get our attention? But some of us miss this big life 
and all the little things in this big life because we think Jesus may be looking at us with a critical eye. Like, is Jesus seeing me take some wrong steps or the missteps I've taken keeping me from this big life? Kind of like what you're about to see here. And I have a disclaimer. This is very poor quality. It's kind of cheesy, but I think you'll get the point. Well, all right. Now it's time for me to tell you all what you've done wrong since I last saw you. And don't try and hide because I am Jesus. I will find you. Let's start with you, Peter. You lied to your mother the other day. Andrew, you said a naughty word when you hit your finger with the hammer. James, you laughed at him when he hit his finger. Moving right along, John, you drank too much wine the other night. Not way too much, just enough to make me angry. Matthew, we fell asleep in church, didn't we? Yes, we did. And Thomas, you were slow dancing a little too close with that girlfriend of yours. Let's see, and you, I forgot your name, so you're off the hook for now. (laughs) Although that seems kind of silly, there is something in us that still kind of views Jesus like that. Being a kind of scorekeeper and sometimes we're on the losing end. But the truth is he knows all about us. And he loves us dearly. And his heart breaks as ours does. And we see this in the story of John's 11th chapter in verses 33 and 35 in the New Living Translation. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And what does that word wailing mean? Well, it's a very loud or profuse or overwhelming sound of crying or grieving or expressing pain. And what was Jesus' reaction to that? Well, it's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. And when you and I, when we are in a place of deep desire that we have prayed and prayed and prayed about, there seems to be no answer to that. Jesus sees our hearts. He sees our distress. And he weeps for us too. But that's not all he does, for we see this in John eleven thirty nine in the New Living Translation. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. And the reason for that is the Jews didn't embalm. They simply wrapped the body in linen. And for every wrap, there would be a layer of spice added. So wrap, spice, wrap, spice. Not as tight as a mummy, but sort of like that. And so next in the scripture, in John 11, verses 40, 41, and 43, Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you you would see the glory of God if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then, unlike the movie version where Jesus went into the tomb, then Jesus shouted from outside the tomb, Lazarus, come out. And in that moment... For them, wondering what would happen. I don't think Lazarus came out instantly. That moment for them, after waiting days for Jesus to get there, must have seemed like an eternity to them. And what was the ingredient that Jesus said was required for something to happen? If you believe. If you believe, you will see God's glory right here. And God's glory is filled with what? It's filled with power. And in our waiting for those deep longings in our lives, we have to believe. We have to believe in order to see God's glory and God's power work in our lives. It takes time. And in that time of waiting, 
before it can happen, it seems like such a long time in eternity for us. So when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, did Martha believe? Did Mary believe? Did some doubt or some mocking? And then boom, if you can picture this, Lazarus came out, kind of wrapped up, something like that. He may even said a little help here. But however it was, he came out. The question is this. Do you believe Jesus has the power to transform you in whatever your deepest, your most personal desire may be, even if you've waited for that to happen a long time? John 11.44 in the New Living Translation says this, And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in headcloth. Jesus told them, Unwrap him, and let him go. So the question is, will you do the same thing? Will you let Jesus unwrap that thing in you, that deep, personal, maybe even desperate longing, desire, trusting that he will transform it and you in the future? Exactly when and how, we can't say. But singer Laura Daigle, who just like the rest of us, has also experienced the same thing, She wrote a song about it, so listen to her words. Yes, Jesus said, unwrap him and let him go. So again, will you let Jesus unwrap that thing in you, that deep, personal, maybe even desperate longing and desire, trusting he will transform it and you in the future? Exactly when and how, we can't say. But if you believe with Jesus it will, then it will. And you don't have to be tortured by it until it does. Let Jesus unwrap the pain of that longing and let it go. Will you pray with me? Great God, we thank you so much for your word. And Father, we see in the lives of people 
like Mary and Martha, just how powerful you are. And just like Lazarus was actually dead and come back to life, help us, Father, in those places in our lives where we feel sort of dead, we feel hopeless, we feel angry. Help us, Father, to see that if we will just simply trust, trust in your very unusual sense of timing, yes, but trust in spite of that, and with that, you still love us. And you can show us, Father, the the largeness, how big a life that you have for us to live. So be with us, Father, in those really tough things, in those really tough moments, as only you can. And turn our hearts towards you and your truth. In Jesus' precious name we all pray. Amen.